with all we already have to learn in medicine these days, is it really important to keep up with viruses that we have not yet seen clinically in our own countries? And I would argue that if we do start to understand viruses such as influenza H7N9 that has only been seen in China so far, we will be better able to understand pandemics when they occur and why they occur. Also, taking some time to understand influenza viruses we have not seen does add to our clinical understanding of influenza in general. You are listening to part three of Influenza with the Hospital Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Gil Peratt. Happy New Year, everybody, as it is January 1st, 2014. And I do want to take a look back to March of 2013 when it was reported H7N9 had infected patients in China. This was important because we had never heard of this influenza virus infecting humans before. Well, when that happens, it scares some of us because we know that one of the first rules of having a pandemic is that the population shouldn't be immune to a virus. And if a virus is new to the human population, we are not going to have immunity. Another rule for causing an influenza pandemic is that there should be human-to-human transmission. So what I mean by that is influenza has the ability to jump across species, meaning that we can catch influenza from a pig, but unless we're able as a human to take the influenza that we caught from a pig and easily spread it to other humans, the virus does not have the ability to cause a pandemic because most of us are not exposed to pigs on a daily basis. But we are exposed to other humans on a daily basis, and that's why if the virus can replicate within humans and spread easily from human to human, that transmission can be particularly worrisome. So that brings us to a paper that was published May 16th, 2013, in the New England Journal of Medicine titled, Human Infection with a Novel Avian Origin Influenza A H7N9 virus. This original paper that came out of China tells us about the H7N9 virus where three patients in Shanghai came down with these influenza symptoms. Now, they all shared a very similar characteristic, which was they all three died. They presented with severe bilateral pneumonia, leukopenia, and lymphocytopenia, and to make matters worse, two of the patients developed rhabdomyolysis and two of the patients developed encephalopathy. All three of them eventually developed ARDS, or Adult Respiratory Distress Syndrome. Indeed, this was a very novel reassortment of genes to make this H7N9 virus, and it was causing human infection. 
Now, we worry so much about this because we know that one of the central characteristics of influenza is that it is a promiscuous slut. And that gives it the ability to have these genetic rearrangements. Now, in my last podcast, I said that a pandemic means that a virus has gone global, but doesn't necessarily mean the virus carries a higher mortality rate than other influenza pandemics. But it can. And so what if we have another pandemic where the virus is not only widespread in reach, but it also has a very high respiratory distress and mortality rate? Then the world may become very tested as it was in 1918. Triage in hospitals will take on a whole new meaning that nobody in the current generations practicing medicine has ever seen in typical United States hospitals. Attempts to shut down transportation and transmission of the virus will have to be undertaken. And nobody should expect that life will be the same during the pandemic, which can last many, many, many months. Indeed, in China, they did have to undertake some lifestyle changes, including closure of the live bird markets. I know we don't have live bird markets here, but they are a big deal to the way of life in China. And we should note that they closed these markets based on a relatively few number of deaths. I mean, well under 100 deaths. And that brings us to a paper from June 13th of 2013 called Clinical Findings in 111 Cases of Influenza A, H7N9 Virus Infection. Once again, this was published in the New England Journal of Medicine as well. And so looking at 111 hospitalized patients with H7N9 in China, 77% of them were admitted to the intensive care unit, and 27% of those 111 patients died. A very scary kill rate. The authors admit that it's a retrospective study And they probably were only looking at patients that were severe enough to present for medical care. So there may be other people that get H7N9 that don't present to a hospital because they're just not that sick. But even if the kill rate is half that number, it is still a very serious virus if it were to go into a pandemic mode. And while H7N9 remains a good candidate to justify my extra food and guns in my house, it so far looks that for 2013, things peaked in April in regards to H7N9, and then the virus significantly decreased in regards to new cases that were seen. And some speculate that H7N9 will not be the cause of the next pandemic because there are some that feel this virus may require a very specific genetic susceptibility 
that is not widespread among all humans. But as we know, these viruses can mutate very quickly and as a result, they can attach to human epithelial cells in people that previously were not as susceptible to its cousin. Meaning this H7N9, which is an influenza A avian flu, can either mutate or combine genetic material from a human influenza virus, and that novel strain may be much better at human-to-human -human transmission, again resulting in that pandemic potential. These flus, which the press calls bird flu and we call avian flu, usually just occur in birds. I mean, it can be very widespread through bird populations, but the infection from birds to humans is rare. The bird flu H5N1 has probably gotten the most press over the years. And one of the traits it shares with the H7N9 bird flu is that when people get other bird flus like the H5N1, they get very, very sick and have a higher risk of death than we are normally used to with influenza. Trying to quantify this, and it's really all predictions and isn't hard science, so to speak, but in The Lancet in 2006, they did try some mathematical models, and the title of that article was Estimation of Potential Global Pandemic Influenza Mortality on the Basis of Vital Registry Data from the 1918 Pandemic, a Quantitative Analysis. And the authors from the Harvard Initiative for Global Health stated that somewhere between 51 million to 81 million people would be killed by a similar influenza pandemic in regards to the 2004 population numbers they were doing the mathematical model on. That 1918 pandemic appears to have been an adapted avian influenza strain. I know that's a little confusing because in a past podcast I said that 1918 pandemic was from an H1N1 influenza, which I have also previously stated is sometimes called the swine flu. But if you also remember from that podcast, I said the H1N1 influenza A represents a resortment of swine strains, human strains, and avian strains of influenza. It's a bit confusing, I know, but it is probably just more important to understand the take-home points that if a population is not immune to a virus, we have a very high risk if that virus starts to have human-to-human -human transmission. If you add to that a high mortality rate, you have a very bad combination of characteristics that is very scary. And I can't tell you if it's going to be the H5N1 bird flu or the H7N9 bird flu that ends up causing a major lethal global pandemic. But what I can tell you is that type of pandemic is someday going to happen 
probably during my lifetime. And I can tell you that the more we in healthcare try and learn about these novel influenza viruses, even the ones we are not seeing in our own country at this moment in time, the more we learn about them, the more prepared we will be when disaster strikes. So I hope this podcast gave you a little bit more appreciation of the past, present, and future of influenza and the pandemics that have and will occur. You've been listening to the Hospital Medicine Podcast with your host, Dr. Gil Perrott.